Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 11, the book of Mark chapter 11. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, thus far in our study in the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus traverse the land. He goes from town to town to town, and we've been largely in the region of Galilee. And now what's happening? We're going to Jerusalem. And the disciples, remember the disciples, they're straight up scared because Jerusalem, that's the hotbed of the religious establishment. And the establishment, you know, combined the religious establishment combined with the political establishment. Remember in our, in our earlier chapters how we look at how uh, 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 they sided with the Herodians and they're plotting to destroy Jesus. Now, these are things that our Lord, he already told the disciples the things that would happen. He told the disciples that he would die and that he would rise again. And these are things that when Peter heard about it, remember when Peter, he tried to rebuke Jesus. And that's when Jesus told him, you know, Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And he said, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, and these are things that we remember in our in our prior chapters. Now, as you know, as a, a, a quick mention, you know, last week in our study in chapter 10, I did misspeak about passing through Jerusalem. And since then, I have repented of it. Now, it's very important to remember we're on our way to Jerusalem. Remember, we were in Capernaum and then we're going south. We're, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And what we're going to see is that a kind of zigzagging pattern, a zigzagging pattern where our Lord, he's in Jerusalem and then out of Jerusalem and then in Jerusalem and out of Jerusalem and then in Jerusalem, we're kind of going to see this zigzag, zigzag pattern and along the way, and we've seen it already in our, in our earlier chapters, along the way, our Lord, he's teaching, he continues to teach and signs are happening, healings are happening, miracles are happening and they have happened in our prior, in our prior studies and they, they, they still happen. And our Lord, he continues to teach. It's very important to understand how he's showing the disciples, you know, when Peter, I'm so in love with Peter. I'm so in love with, you know, the apostles, because you see Peter, remember the disciples, they're in their infancy, in their growth in Christ. Well, not so much now, but in the earlier chapters, they're in their infancy. They're like babies in Christ. But what happens, remember, it's very important to remember they, they, they do not have uh, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we see in the book of Acts. That's Acts chapter 2, and we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's something, when that happens, it's so beautiful because, you know, later on, the disciples, when they become apostles, they start to piece together the things that the Lord told them. You know, like, oh, that's what he meant when this happened. Oh, that's what he meant when, when he walked over here, when he went over here. Oh, that's what he meant. These are things that the disciples, when they're apostles, they reflect back on and they can piece it together, piece things together, sequence of events, teachings. And it's so powerful because the same thing happens with you and me. The same thing happens with you and me. When you're a brand new believer... There are certain things about scriptures that you don't understand because you're a brand new believer and that's perfectly fine. It's totally normal. But then at the same time, as we grow, as we mature, as we continue to read Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, we can reflect back as well. Oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what the Lord means when he says this. Oh, that's what, you know, and it's so beautiful to see this pattern of growth and it's been happening since the very beginning. 
And so here we are. Remember, we're on our way to Jerusalem and we begin our study here in Mark chapter 11 in verse 1. Now when they drew near, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage, to Bethany and at and to Beth and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. Now, it's important to remember here, important to note, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark records the colt, but the gospel of Matthew records two donkeys. You know, leave it to the tax collector to account for the two. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. And so there are two donkeys that are brought to Jesus, one old and one young. And this is in fulfillment of prophecy. We see in Mark 11 here how uh, in the gospel of Mark records the, the cult. But, you know, in fulfilling prophecy, turn really quick to Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, Old Testament. Book of Zechariah, chapter 9. Zechariah, chapter 9. And in Zechariah chapter 9, we see this in verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, when Jesus enters, remember, we're, 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 we're on our way to Jerusalem. And when Jesus enters, he's riding on the younger donkey. And so we see here in Zechariah chapter 9 in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. Notice in verse 10 here, the weapons of war, it's not on the opposing side. It's not on the opposing side. Ephraim, Jerusalem, that's Israel. You see, very important to note. And we see here in verse 10, he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, carnally speaking, according to the flesh, this seems impossible because Israel has been at war for many, many moons, and even still to this day, peace to the nations. I mean, we see the uh, what is written here in verse 10 that, you know, he shall speak peace to the nations. And you look around, it's like peace to the nations. What's happening? Peace to the nations. We don't see peace. It seems impossible, but understand it absolutely will be fulfilled. There are still prophecies in the Bible that are pending. You see, and it's absolutely going to be fulfilled that there will be peace to the nations. But first, there is fulfillment according to the Spirit. You see, for example, you take a guy of extreme violence, you know, extreme violence on a kill mission, he'll kill. In a brawl, he has no problem, you know, taking the pipe to somebody's face. He drops cinder blocks on people's head. He pulls human teeth out of his elbows. A, a, a guy of extreme violence. You take a guy like this who comes to Jesus Christ. Now you look at verse 10. Now you look at verse 10. And for this particular individual, the chariot, cut off. Horse, cut off. Battle bow, non-existent. You see? Straight up, the guy who drops cinder blocks on faces, 
He can't even hurt a butterfly. You see, the battle bow is broken indeed. And there is absolutely peace. And Jesus absolutely has dominion to the ends of the earth according to the Spirit. Now, for this particular guy, you multiply that over and over many, many times, many, many times over. And that's the remnant. And not just a guy of extreme violence. You take females of violence. You take other guys of, you know, sex, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of different things. Whatever strongholds, whatever chains those are, broken in Christ, free in Christ. And so for the remnant, you look at verse 10, I mean, carnally speaking, it's like, wait a second, you know, like, you know, you look at verse 10 and you see like, you know, peace to the nations, dominion from sea to sea. Today, you look around and it's like, we don't see that. But then with eyes to see among a very specific people, among a very peculiar people, because this peculiar people, they're not of this world. And within this peculiar people, you see like, wow, you know, the chariot is absolutely cut off. I mean, say, for example, for you, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But who were you in your BC days, in your before Christ days? Be it the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the alcohol, the whiskey, the Ouija boards, the occult, all kinds of different things. Who were you before Christ? And it's not to like, you know, to, 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 to dwell on the past, but it's to remember the past and remember the Lord and what he has done in your life. You see that? Yes, the chariot, the horse, the battle bow, non-existent. You, you can't even hurt a butterfly today. Why? Because the Lord has spoken peace to you. And he has dominion in your heart, you see? But these are things that will happen. They will come to pass according to the flesh. They will come to pass when, you know, as, as the, we read in the epistles where there's not going to be a need for faith anymore. Why? Because we'll see Jesus face to face. Prophecy, it's coming to pass. But there are still, there are certain prophecies, they are precursory events that they have to come first. You see? Very important to understand when we look at verse 10. You see, this is on Israel's side. And, you know, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. That's on Israel's side. So it was happening when Jesus returns on, on the, uh, on, on, riding on the colt, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the people there, you know, they're excited and they're rejoicing. And that's not a bad thing at all. But when you look at these prophecies, you know, they were thinking like, wow, you know, we're not going to be under the thumb of Rome anymore. You know, we're going to have, you know, kind of like a, 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 a Davidic lineage here. And it's very true, you know, son of David, very true. But at the same time, also son of man and son of God. And so the people, they're applying like kind of like a, 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 a carnal application or an application according to the flesh. But first is spirit. Very important to understand. And so we see here that Jesus is absolutely, absolutely. He is the prince of peace, the prince of peace. But then you look at the world, the world today, and it's like, wait a second, where, where is their peace? Where is their peace? And Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but you look around, where is their peace? 
And don't forget that Jesus is the one who says, do not think that I came to bring peace. He says, I came to divide. You see, I came to divide. That's what he says. So how do we reconcile this? How can, how can, how can the Bible say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? We look around, we don't see peace. And then Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace. He says, I came to divide. How do we reconcile this? How do we, we make these pieces, these, it is also written, how does it fit? And then we understand that with this division that Jesus says, I came to divide, the division that he makes, on one side, you see no peace. But then on the other side, you do see peace. You see? And the Prince of Peace says, do not think I came to bring peace. He says, I came to divide. So we divide and we look at the two sides. What is the division? On one side, no peace. On the other side, you see peace. And then you look at the world. It's like, wait a second. I, I don't see peace. I don't see peace. But then you look at this when the division is made and you look at the remnant. It's like, wait a second. I do see peace. Where this guy used to be, you know, extremely violent. This lady used to be a sex head. You know, this guy used to be the occult. And this lady, you know, used to be on the whiskey. And wow, I don't see that anymore. Because you see peace. And praise be to the Lord. Remember, before the seed, according to the old covenant, peace came by sword of the flesh. That's how peace came, by sword of the flesh. And that was in according to the old covenant, before the seed, but then post-seed, according to the new covenant, peace also comes by sword. But it's the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, it is written, is the Word of God. You see? And a person can say, well, wait a second, if that's true... Why is the church so messed up today? I mean, if we, if, if, if we, if we account for all these, it is also written. And it's like, wait a second. If this is true, if what you're telling me is true, why in the world is the church so messed up? And it's a very valid question. A very truthful question in observation. Because today, the church, it's, the church is absolutely pretty messed up. But then the answer is carnality. It's the flesh. And it's leaven. Idolatry. And where you see leaven, these are things that open the door to apostasy. You see? And don't forget, apostasy, it's prophesied. We are living in the era of fulfillment. Very important to understand. And so we look at Zechariah 9 and we do see fulfillment. But there's more. There is more. Turn really quick to Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 13, Exodus 13. And in Exodus 13, <clears throat> verse 11, and it shall be, Exodus 13, verse 11, and it shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. 
Now you see here in Exodus 13, this is pre-promised land. This is before entry into the promised land, the second generation into the promised land. Remember our study in uh, Deuteronomy, old man Moses in his uh, discourse to the second generation of Israel. And we see here in Exodus 13, before passage into the promised land, you see every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. It is written, Exodus 13, and verse 13. You see, when Jesus, in, in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus comes riding on the colt, remember, the younger donkey, the younger donkey, it's a, a crystal clear message to the religious establishment, the ones who are supposedly in the know, a crystal clear message to them, according to Moses, according to Zechariah, and according to more, but Moses and Zechariah here in our study, a crystal clear message of this. Jerusalem, here is your king. Zion, here is the lamb. Very important to understand. Don't forget, I mean, Moses and Zechariah, that's law and prophets. And Jesus is fulfillment of the law, yes, but also fulfillment of the prophets. And we cannot forget that in the timeline of Mark chapter 11, in our study here in Mark 11, don't forget, it's Passover week. It's Passover week. And what's required for the observance of Passover according to the law? A male lamb without blemish, according to Moses. You see? Very important to understand what's happening in Jerusalem. I and, mean, you know, when Jesus comes, you know, riding on a donkey in Jerusalem, it is no small thing. No way. It's a huge huge deal a very hardcore message to the religious establishment of who's coming to town and who's arrived a very crystal clear message to them and notice still in exodus 13 uh, you know we see that uh, uh, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb and if you will not redeem it then you shall break its neck and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem so it shall be when your sons ask you in time to come, saying, what is this? So future generations, Moses, you know, telling the people, you know, the pre-passage into the promised land. And, you know, Moses telling them, listen, when your kids and, you know, the, the, the next generation, when they ask, like, what is this all about? In verse 14, what is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You see, what's happening in Mark 11 with Jesus, it's not just a revealing of who he is, a hardcore message to the religious establishment, but to them, it is also a revealing of 
judgment upon them. It's an extremely, extremely strong warning telling the establishment, you're like Pharaoh. You're like Pharaoh. And Israel is in bondage. Why? Because of you. You see? Remember, the religious establishment. They're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. That's what they're supposed to be. When you, when you look at, remember, our, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our study in Exodus where, you know, Moses in the mountain? Where you have, you know, he's in the cloud on the mountain. You have Joshua on the outside of the cloud and just patiently waiting, patiently waiting. Moses and Joshua. But Joshua, or, or Moses, he's in the cloud. And you see, the Lord is giving him these very, very beautiful blueprints. Very, very beautiful blueprints. And then at the same time, it's like, wait a second, you know, with the establishment of the, of the, of the priesthood, what a beautiful thing. And then all of a sudden you start to see post mountain when, when Moses and Joshua come down, it's like, wait a second, you know, what is happening? You see Aaron with the, the golden calf and Moses puts the responsibility on leadership. You caused Israel to sin. And what's so beautiful about the mercy and love of our Lord and his grace is that the blueprints were given. And then you come down the mountain, you see the golden calf and it's like, well, wait a second. How can this be? How can these blueprints of something so beautiful be for this people who have so quickly forgotten the hand of the Lord? And then you understand, wait a second, our Lord he is merciful. He is gracious. And you see the error and sin of Aaron, yes. But then at the same time, you see the beauty of our Lord and what he can do post-repentance. You see, when Aaron is right with the Lord, all of a sudden, who is he? He's the, 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 the first of the, the priesthood. You see? Remember the loins of Abraham? How beautiful is it to see like, oh my goodness, Lord. I mean, we know that our Lord is good, but the things that he put in motion and understanding to say, oh Lord, you're so good. It's an understatement. And so you have the religious establishment when, when Jesus comes into town riding on a donkey, when he comes into Jerusalem, it's a very hardcore message to them. And, you know, the religious establishment, they're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. Why? Remember, the whole purpose. Remember our study in the Old Testament in Torah? If you've been walking with us for a while, when, you know, Leviticus, the whole purpose is so that Israel can be right before the Lord. So that Israel can be clean and pure before the Lord. Then you see the priesthood. You're like, wow, you know, the priests have a... A beautiful job to do, a beautiful task to do in obedience to the Lord. It's so beautiful. But then what happens when the priesthood becomes defunct? And that's what we see in the book of Judges. We see it a little bit earlier too, but I mean, you see it like hardcore in the book of Judges. You see? And then here we are in the book of Mark. And Jesus is, comes riding on a donkey, he enters Jerusalem. 
And Israel is not clean before the Lord. Israel is not pure before the Lord. Israel is not right before the Lord. And why is that? It's because of the religious establishment. It's because of the priesthood. Israel is defiled. You see? The whole time, the whole time when Jesus is traversing the land in our study in the book of Mark, the whole time miracles have been happening. People are being healed. The blind see, the lame walk. Remember the 12 years with the two females? Remember? 12 years with the two females. A hardcore message. And Jesus, what's happening? Jesus, in doing these things, is, there's something else that's also happening. Our Lord Jesus, He's revealing Himself. He's revealing Himself as the real high priest. Where is found the real mercy seat of God. You see, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful that our Lord, you know, when we read the text of the book of Mark, it's like, wow, you know, our Lord is teaching us so beautifully. Our Lord is teaching us such, such beautiful things about who he is. And, you know, our father in heaven, hallowed be his name. And wow, our Lord is just blowing us away with how he teaches. But then in the miracles, especially in the towns that he enters and the peoples that he speaks to, the male, female, blind, lame, they can't walk. And these things are happening. But our Lord is teaching us by his own example. But then also our Lord, he teaches us by the things he does, by his very works, revealing who exactly he is. You see? Son of David? Yes. Son of man? Yes. Son of God? Absolutely. You see? And so, let's go back to Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is giving two disciples very specific instructions, very specific blueprints about the donkeys. And here we are in verse 3. In Mark 11, verse 3. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. See, our Lord tells me, see how our Lord is giving these very specific instructions. Hey, you guys go and you get the, you know, go, go and get these donkeys. But at the same time, you know, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, tell them, you know, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. The Lord is giving very specific blueprints about what to do for these two disciples. And look what happens here in verse 4. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. In verse 5, but some of those who stood there and said to them, Why are you doing? What are you doing? Loosing the colt. Now, remember, our Lord told them in verse 3, If anybody's asked, you know, tell them the Lord has need of it. And so... Somebody asked, you know, in verse 5, some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing? Loosing the colt. And in verse 6, the, the disciples, they're just obedient to what the Lord told them. And they, in verse 6, and they spoke to them just as the Lord had commanded. You see, verse 3, Jesus told them, if anybody asks you, tell them the Lord has need of it. And so we get to verse 6 and we see, you know, they spoke to them just as, the, as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. So beautiful how our Lord, you know, very specific blueprints that he get, gives. But then at the same time, through obedience, you see like, wow, you know, things are, things are happening. 
And we emphasize this greatly because these are things that we see in the book of Acts with church, with the, the church and among believers in the book of Acts. And still today, when you see churches that are like the book of Acts, you start to see effectuation of God's promise. Very, very specific blueprints that the Lord gives by his spirit, the things that angels peer into. Very important to understand. There are pastors today. They say that the church of the book of Acts with the power and the moving and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It is not for today. Let me tell you something. If you have a pastor like that, flee from him because they teach wrong. The reason why you don't see a church like the book of Acts today, well, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, it's quite obvious. It's the carnality. It's the flesh. It's because of the leaven. It's because of idolatry. And when you see that, there is no effectuation of God's promises. A quenching of the spirit and even an extinguishing of the spirit. And when that happens, hey, there's no effectuation. Very important to understand. And so in verse 7, look what happens here. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Remember, Mark records the donkey that Jesus rode on, the, the, the colt. Mark records the, the colt, but Matthew records the two donkeys. You know, leave it to the tax collector. Very important to understand, especially in fulfillment of prophecies, and especially in uh, the, of the prophets, and especially in fulfillment of the prophets and of the law, the things that we touched on. And in verse 8, And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna. Hosanna. You know what that is? It's save now, save now. Save now, save now. Hosanna. But remember, what was happening in Jerusalem and among the people is they thought like, wow, you know, the, the, the son of David, son of David, he's here. Messiah is here. And all of a sudden, wow, Messiah is here. And we're not going to be under the thumb of Rome anymore. You see, Israel is going to be restored. The 12 tribes, it's all going to be restored. But remember, spirit first before flesh. Very important to understand. And so we see in verse 9, they cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our, of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is what the people were shouting and praise be to the Lord. But remember, there was this anticipation of the work of the flesh politically and geopolitically the restoration of israel but remember here there is no israel proper it's judea and the jews are scattered in the region and remember the people what they think at this particular era 2000 years ago give or take a couple years uh, they think that the son of david is going to restore israel and don't forget, the son of David will absolutely restore Israel. But there are other prophecies that need to first be fulfilled, you see. And these are things that are going to happen 
when Jesus returns, when all governments will be on his shoulders. I mean, sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with my my conspiracy theorist friends. And if you're listening, you're one of my conspiracy theorist friends. I love you. I love you. I love you. But a lot of times with the conspiracy theorists talking about globalization and, you know, one world order and all these things. Hey, this is all moving forward to all the governments being placed on the shoulders of Jesus, our Lord. You see, so when you see these things happen happen today, this rise of globalization, you see monetary policy coalescing on a global scale. We're living in an era of fulfillment. And all these things will be placed on the shoulders of our Lord when he is physically, 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 literally crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You You know, according to the prophet Zechariah, and more. But there are precursory things that have to happen. You see, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God will absolutely restore Israel. Absolutely. But there are other certain things that need to happen first, according to prophecy and according to law. You see? And so 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, the people had this expectation and anticipation that this is what happens with the son of David, that, that, you know, we're not going to be under the thumb of Rome anymore. And it absolutely is going to happen. Don't get me wrong, but their timing is a little bit off. And so we see here in verse 11, and Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In verse 11, he looked around at all the things. The hour was late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. See, this is the the zigzagging that we're going to start to see in Jerusalem. You know, in Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. We're going to see it. Let me tell you something. When I read verse 11 that, you know, Jesus, he looks around at all the things. The hour was late. Picture those steps of our Lord. Picture those steps of our Lord. You know how sometimes when you're, you know, you might be out camping or you're out in the wilderness or whatever it is, you know, maybe you're at the beach or something and you look at scenery and you don't, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to say a word, but if your mind could speak, if your mind could speak, oh my goodness, it would speak of such splendor. Describing the beauty of creation, the beauty of the creator. To look at a mountain, to look at a creek, to look at waves, to look at a flower bed, to look at a ladybug, to look at a rose petal, to look at the clouds, to hear the birds sing, and just straight up rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord and all without saying anything. You haven't uttered any words, and these are things if your mind could speak. There's something that happens to the believer that walks with Jesus. The believer who abides in Jesus. You're going to change. Where you could be a violent, violent, violent individual, straight up, you know, dropping cinder blocks on people's heads. Pulling human teeth out of your elbows. 
You could be a sex head. You could be a crackhead. You could be all, you know, the with the Ouija boards and the occult. You could be deep in the occult. But then you come to Jesus. And it's not just an experience. No, you come to Jesus and you fall on your knees and you believe you are the Messiah. And these are things, these dark, dark times in your life, they're going to become the history book. They're going to be history. And something's going to happen in you. You could be the former violent, the former sex, the former alcohol, the former occult. And something's going to happen when you walk with Jesus. You're going to change. You're not going to think the way you used to think. You're not going to operate the way you used to operate. You're going to change. And in the course of time, remember, according to the prophets, a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind. And in the course of time, you're going to discover, wait a second, I don't fit here. I don't fit in this world. You're going to discover that. You might have discovered it already. Anywhere you go, any sector of society, any part of culture, even among believers, you just don't fit. You try to speak and nobody understands. But in that beautiful, beautiful temple of your body, there's such intimacy with Jesus. Such beautiful intimacy with Jesus. Remember, cheek to cheek. Your intimacy with Jesus is so beautiful in your heart, your mind. They sing songs of pure joy. But then comes a bitterness as well. And you see, you know, you read the prophets, the major and minor prophets. You start to see like, wow, you know, when the Lord would say, hey, eat this, eat this scroll. Eat this scroll and you see it described. You see the scroll described, you know, the word of the Lord described as, wow, it's like honey on my lips. So beautiful, like honey in my mouth, honey on my tongue. But then swallow comes and you swallow and then all of a sudden it's like bitter in the stomach. Bitter in the stomach. And we have a bitterness among the remnants today. A bitterness among believers today. A bitterness among pastors today. Of the remnant. Specifically of the remnant. Because when you know formula. When you know formula. That holy recipe. And you understand formula. You can simply observe. Without saying a word. And you feel pain. Immense pain. Your heart will be broken. People in various situations, choices they've made. And you know what happens? You cry. Because you know, it was never supposed to be this way. It was never supposed to be this way. For that individual, for whoever it is you're speaking to, young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. And there's that bitterness. And all of this without uttering a single word. And these are the things that I think about when I read verse 11. Jesus. He doesn't just know formula. No, he straight up, he is the formula. And Jesus, he enters Jerusalem. He's on the colt. He enters Jerusalem. 
And then he walks around, making his way into temple, observing things. It's getting late. And so they go to Bethany, just like we read in verse 11. But when we see our Lord observing various things, not just knowing formula, he is the formula. He knows what's intended of Jerusalem according to the law, according to the prophets. He knows exactly what's intended of Jerusalem. And there he is walking, observing. And he sees the disconnect of what was intended. The disconnect of what he sees and what was intended. Just like, you know, when you understand formula, when, when, when you have this deep intimacy with the Lord, you could talk to a person and you just cry. A person tells you their problems. A person tells you, you know, family situations, you know, thing at work, thing at school, thing with family, thing with whatever. And you just weep. Because you know, wow, you know, this isn't what the Lord intended. This isn't what the Lord intended. You see? To talk with the, you know, a, a, a female that's been through like, you know, 10, 20 boyfriends. And you talk to her, just looking for love, looking for love. And it's completely understandable. But then, because you know, when you have intimacy with the Lord, you know, and you know, your focus is on the better husband, the better marriage, and your life is, it's beautiful. And you know that, you know, it didn't start out that way because we all have our BC days who we were before Christ. But then to talk to a, you know, a, 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 a young lady who's gone through, you know, 10, 20 boyfriends looking for love and, and you just weep as she's speaking. You weep as she's speaking because you know, like, wow, she doesn't know the better husband. She doesn't know the better marriage. And it's not to have a mindset that's, okay, well, she's predestined to hell, so I'll just go on my merry way. No, no, no. That's Calvinism and Reformed theology. They call it theology, but it's a theory. And a theory, it doesn't fit the scriptures. Well, she's predestined for hell, so I'm out of here. No. To sit down and talk with her and tell her, let me tell you about the better marriage. Let me tell you about the better husband. Let me tell you about this beautiful, beautiful love story. And it's about you and Jesus. And she can find love. She can discover love. You see? And so I picture Jesus walking in Jerusalem, knowing the very intent of Jerusalem, what was intended for and of Jerusalem. And just walking around like, wow, it was never supposed to be this way. It was never supposed to be this way. You see? And then you understand his indignance towards the shepherds, the priesthood. Where in the world are the priests? And you look around like, oh, we got priests everywhere. Priests over there, priests over there, elders over here, elders over there. Yeah, but look at them. We got priests according to the flesh. But where in the world is Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Where can that be found? Now, if you're listening, you're like, what, what is that? What, you know, what is Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Go and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll learn all about Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. You'll learn all about it. And so look what happens here in verse 12. Now, on the next day when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. In verse 13, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, 
for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, here in verse 14, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15, so they came to Jerusalem. So they came to Jerusalem. Remember, this is the hotbed, Jerusalem. This is the hotbed of the religious establishment, you see? And they're already plotting to destroy Jesus. Remember our study in chapter 3? That's when we discovered that they were plotting with the political establishment to destroy Jesus. And it's very interesting to know that back then, in chapter 3, on this timeline, in chapter 3 on the Mark timeline, the, the book of Mark timeline, in chapter 3 on the timeline, that they were already positioning themselves to fulfill prophecy. We're getting closer. We're in chapter 11. We're very close to, uh, I mean, their very behaviors is in fulfillment of prophecy, but we're getting, you know, closer and closer, closer to the big time fulfillment of prophecy. But in chapter three, way back in the day, in chapter three, the religious establishment, they're already positioning themselves to fulfill prophecy. And so much better it would have been so much better it would have been had they just repented and believed. I want to say something really quick. To the present non-believer, even the present mocker of Jesus, and I love you. But what I'm about to say also includes a warning. We are currently living, 2023 AD, we are currently living in an era of prophetic fulfillment, a converging of prophecies. And there are prophecies that absolutely pertain to blessings. But there are also prophecies that pertain to curse and judgment. And to the present non-believer and present mocker of Jesus, much better it is and much better it will be for you to repent and believe today. Right here, right now, point blank. And let me tell you something, and I do love you. I do say this to scare you and also to help you. And I know it sounds super strange. Like, what is he talking about? I, I, I thought this guy's supposed to be a Christian. He wants to scare me. I know it sounds strange, but it's just like, it's just like the weather reports. I mean, depending on where you live, you see there's tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, all the kinds of different things. But you know, the weather reports, when tornadoes are imminent, what do you hear? What do you hear on the radio? What do you hear on TV? What do you, alerts do you get on your phone? You hear the weather reporters, they say, you know, hey, find shelter, find shelter, find shelter. No, the tornadoes, it's imminent. This is a big one. You know, the clouds look like this. The wind looks like this. It's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, you see the weather people, they're just like straight up, you know, like shouting at the camera, you know, get shelter, find shelter, find shelter. And they do it because it would be dangerous for a person to be outside. And let me tell you something, that's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. And much like that weather person, I'm telling you, there's scary stuff that happens when you're on the outside of Christ. And to the present non-believer, that's you right now. If you're a non-believer, you're listening, you're a non-believer, that's you right now. It's unsafe to be on the outside of Christ. Not to suggest that, you know, 20 years ago, it's okay. But in these last days, with the converging of multiple prophecies, 
And that's an understatement. Multiple, 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 multiple prophecies. To the present non-believer, much better it is for you to seek shelter right here, right now. And if that's you, you woke up this morning a non-believer and you want to put your head on the pillow tonight. You want to close your eyes and go to sleep tonight as a believer in Jesus Christ. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do that right here, right now. You hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And you come back, you listen, we grow together. We continue on our journey together. Why? Because we're going to paradise. Paradise. Not of this world. Why? Because we're not of this world. We are a peculiar people. A peculiar people. In the wilderness called the world. Traversing the land. You see, making our way to paradise. And so we continue our study here in verse 15. They came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the, went into the temple and began, began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of, of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Today, you hear people today, they, 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 they use a carnal way of thinking to this verse. And they speak of monetary policy and money changers. And that's a carnal way of thinking. Now, money changing, you know, here we are in 2023 AD. But money changing, that's kind of old school. Old school. It's kind of old school. Why? Because, you know, now credit cards are used. You know, credit cards are accepted on a global scale. But back in the day, way back in the day, back in the 80s. Back in the 80s, if you and me were to travel to Japan, say for let's get in my time machine, you and me, let's get in my time machine and let's go to 1981 Japan. Now, if you and me were to go to Japan, we'd arrive at the airport and would stand in line at the money exchange. And at the money exchange, we would convert, you know, I presently teach from the United States and we would take USD, we would take US dollars and we would convert it to the local currency. It's kind of old school, the money changers. Nowadays, you don't see it anymore because, you know, everybody has, you know, credit cards that, you know, accepted everywhere in the world. But back in the day, way back in the day, way back in the history books, the 1980s, that's how it happened. They had the money changers back then. The, you know, the exchange, the exchange currency. So you can get, you have the local currency. They give you the, the exact value and, you know, the, the same value. And so like, you know, you would, you know, buy groceries, get some food, you know, go get a burger or something, go get some uh, sushi and, and, you know, you get the sushi in Tokyo. And then all of a sudden you pay with the, your, your, the, the Japanese money and that's been converted from USD. And so what happened in the Mark 11 era in the temple, what was happening is they turned the temple into a business operation. So let's say you and me, we get in my time, time machine again, and we go back to this particular era. We go back to the era of temple worship. And you and me, say for example, we get in my time machine, we go back to the era of temple worship, and you and me, we're in sin. We're in sin. And we want to be clean before the Lord. And so in observance of the law, we want to be, we're, we're in sin and we want to be clean before the Lord. And in observance of the law, we have our very best turtle doves, our very best cream of the crop. We have our best turtle doves. 
the best for us. I mean, for somebody else, it might not be the best, but for you and me, these are our absolute best turtle doves, cream of our crops. And turtle doves, we're on the low end of the socioeconomic ladder, you know. We, we, we don't have the money to afford an ox, so we have our turtle doves. You see, we're on the low end. We're kind of on the, uh, on, on the socioeconomic ladder. We're on the low end. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. So in his economy, that doesn't matter because he looks at the heart. But in the ways of the world, we're poor. So we take the very best of our birds as sacrifice. Remember, blood for blood, life for life. Why? Because life is in the blood. These are things, you know, we, we're, we're accounting for the it is also written in Torah. You see, in Pentateuch, five books of Moses. And so in this example, you and me were in sin. We want to be clean before the Lord. And you have your turtle dove. I have my turtle dove. Might not be the, the best according to this guy, the best according to that guy, the best according, but to us, it's the very best best. It is our most prized turtle dove. I have mine and you have yours. And we're coming because we want to be clean before the Lord. And say, for example, we travel from afar. Say we're Ethiopian, let's say. We're Ethiopian. We arrive in temple and we present our doves. I present mine, you present yours. The very best of what we have. And then the priesthood. The priesthood and those who are working with the priest and those in partnership with the priest, we fall into their little scheme, their little, their little operation they have going on. Our doves get inspected. Oh, look, let me, let me see this dove of yours. Oh, look, we found the blemish over here. And then they grab yours on. Oh, let me, let me look at this little dove you have. Okay, we found the blemish. Because of these blemishes, these are unacceptable to the Lord. But, oh, look over here. For $59.99, you can purchase this pre-inspected dove that is approved according to Torah. It is approved according to the teachings of Moses for $59.99. You do your $59.99 and you do your $59.99 and say, you and me, we're listening. We're listening and we're already poor. And, you know, and, and, you know, the, 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 the guy is telling us, you know, $59.99 for you, $59.99 for me. And, you know, they're normally, you know, $70, but he's, he's cutting us a deal. And we're already poor. That's a steep price. But remember, we're in sin. And you and me, we desire to be clean before the Lord. And keep in mind, we're, 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 we're not in Ethiopia. We're in temple. We're in temple. We're among the priesthood. We're among the workers of the priests. We're among those in partnerships with the partnership with the priests. And to you and me, surely these guys are holy. Surely these guys know their stuff. Surely they know what they're talking about. Surely, you and me, we want to be clean before the Lord. Surely, they want us to be clean before the Lord. Surely, that's the case. After all, this is, this is what the priesthood does. That's their job. Surely, they're the ones in the right. And then we tell them, hey, look, you know, we're from Ethiopia. We only have Ethiopian money. Oh, that's okay, the guy tells us. Oh, that's okay for $59. Look, it's, it's normally $70, but, you know, I like the look on your face. You know, I like you. I like you. So I'm going to cut you a deal. $59.99. You're a nice guy. You're a nice guy. If you're female, you're a nice gal. 
I like you. So it's normally $70, I'm going to cut you a deal. You only have Ethiopian money? Hey, that's no, no big deal. Look, look, look over here. Step right over here. We have the money exchange. We have the money exchange. We'll take your Ethiopian coin and we'll convert it to the $59.99 equivalent. And then you can be pure before the Lord. You see? So the transaction is complete. We've spent our hard-earned money. We won't be able to eat for a couple days because, you know, we dipped into our food provisions. Remember, we're from Ethiopia. But it's well worth it. Why? Because you and me, we desire to be clean before the Lord. And surely, here we are in temple. Surely these guys are holy. Surely they're working to achieve the very thing that we desire to be clean before the Lord. Surely they want us to be clean before the Lord. Because after all, they're, they're part of the priesthood. You see? Very important to understand what is happening here. You see, in temple, in temple, they have the prophets. There's the inflated exchange rate. And look, they take our birds. They take our birds and, you know, they, 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 use, the, they use our birds, what they called mangy. They take our birds that they called mangy. They put them in the, in the little thing and they use them as their pre-approved birds to trick the next guy. Nice little business operation. You see, that's what was happening. And Jesus, who doesn't just know formula. No, he straight up is the holy formula. And Jesus, he is the holy recipe. He's straight up mad. Other gospels record Jesus flipping tables over, flipping the seats over. You remember our study in Leviticus? If you've been walking with us for a while, in our study in Leviticus, and I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but that's holy. Remember, the law is still holy. It is written, New Covenant, the law is still holy, but it is the lesser glory because it makes way and points to and leads to fulfillment of the law and fulfillment of the prophets. But the law is still holy. And the whole purpose is for Israel to be clean before the Lord. And it's handled and done in holiness by the priesthood. As prescribed by a very specific blueprint. And so our Lord, when he is walking in Jerusalem, as formula, the holy recipe, that's him. He knows what's intended of and for Jerusalem. And there's a disconnect by what he sees and what he knows. There's a disconnect with the priesthood, what they're supposed to be doing and what they're doing. Remember, when he comes riding on the colt, on the, the younger donkey, he's riding on the colt. That's a clear message, crystal clear message to the religious establishment of who's coming to town. Remember the lamb? Remember, it's Passover week. The lamb and the donkey. 
It's a crystal clear message of Jesus revealing exactly who he is. And it's already happened. I mean, remember when when Jesus would speak in parables and at the same time, you know, when the disciples would ask him questions, he would speak openly to them and just explain the parables. And that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with the Lord, is that our Lord teaches us and he shows us, he explains with intricacy. But then to others, no, you don't have that. But to a remnant, you do have that. We see that exact same model exemplified in our study in the book of Mark. How truth is withheld, but it's withheld for a reason. Remember when Jesus first came, open book, he would speak, go into synagogue and speak. But as a result of the hardness of hearts, truth starts to become withheld. And so Jesus, who is the holy formula, he is the holy recipe, it's incredibly easy to understand why our Lord is mad. Why our Lord flips tables over. And people try to apply, well, he doesn't like the money changers. And so because of monetary, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with monetary policy. But it has everything to do with Israel being pure before the Lord. You see? Just like the example we gave were you and me with the turtle doves. You and me with the turtle doves. We think everything's fine. We think like, wow, what a beautiful transaction. And when I say transaction, remember the two transactions. Very important to understand the two transactions. Very important to understand. Because you and me, we have our intent. And I don't like calling it transaction. It's, It's holy, a holy transaction. And so you and me, it's like, wait a second, we have this beautiful desire to be, we're in sin and we desire to be pure before the Lord. And the transaction, you know, and that's for like tithes and offerings and, you know, in the uh, uh, sacrifices. Remember the the transaction number one, there's the uh, uh, offering uh, unto the Lord, but then what the Lord gives of offering unto the priesthood so that the priest, you and me, we have jobs, you know, you and me, we got to work so we can, you know, you know, put food on the table. We got to work, but the priesthood, they don't have to do that because their job is for you and me to be clean. And so the Lord's provision for them is that they can take portions of the offerings, portions of animals, portions of ox and sheep and lambs that were offered to the Lord. And so it's very important to understand these two transactions. But when the formula is wrong in the priesthood, remember, only the clean can clean. When the formula is wrong in the priesthood, what does that say for Israel? What does that say for Israel? You look at the book of Judges when everybody was doing right in his own eyes and the Lord had become forgotten. It's like, wait a second, how can this be? When you have the priesthood. Yeah, we got the priests, all right. But look at them. Remember remember the, the, the idolatry with the priests in our study in the book of Judges? Remember the sex? Remember the gang rape? Remember the 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 mutilation? The book of Judges was a very, very difficult book. Yeah, we have the priests, absolutely. But look at them. You see? It's easy to understand why our Lord is mad. 
In verse 16, we see this in Mark 11, verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. Whoa. Our Lord is straight up mad. Straight up mad. In the temple, he's mad, but easily understandable. Because when you understand formula, and we know that Jesus is the straight up formula, holy recipe, he, it's him. It's easy to understand, like, wow, what happened to the priests? The so-called shepherds of Israel. What happened to the priests? You see? And in verse 18, look what happens. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. You say, wait a second, I thought you said they were already trying to destroy Jesus. Yeah, absolutely, they were. They were already trying to destroy Jesus, but we see an increasing degree of intensity. It's exactly like we see with Paul. Remember our study in the book of Acts, and we make mention of it through the epistles as well, but like with Paul, the religious establishment, when, when, when Paul became a Christian, or, you know, he was Saul, but then, you know, they he referred to as Paul. And in the, among the religious establishment, remember Paul, he would go into synagogue and prove from the text, prove from the scrolls exactly who Jesus is. He would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And the religious establishment at first, when, when Paul began to speak and, you know, as a, as a, as a brand new, I shouldn't say brand new Christian because, you know, there was a period of time. Remember when he, you know, he didn't confer with flesh immediately. He didn't immediately confer with the flesh. You see, there was a, a period of time for him to grow. We see an infancy of Paul too, but he has a backdrop of the law, a student of Gamaliel. So he knew his stuff, but, you know, he had to be kind of pieced together rightly according to the new covenant he didn't immediately confer with the flesh you see and so paul when he would go into synagogue and the the religious leaders the rulers of synagogue were straight up hey let's kick him out let's kick him out they are they were plotting against them hey let's kick him out but then you know that didn't work okay now let's beat him up you know you know let's kick him out and that they you know hey paul didn't get the message we don't want him here and paul didn't stop okay now let's beat him up that's going to put a stop to what he's doing. But that didn't work. Okay, now let's put him in jail. You see, nothing's working. And then it intensified. Okay, now let's kill him. You see, the plot to destroy was there, but the degree of intensity, it increases. And we see it happen with our Lord. He's in, in, in Mark, in Mark 3, they plot with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. And in verse 18, it's intensifying. And they're moving closer. They're already in fulfillment. But they're moving closer and closer and closer to not just a very high degree of fulfillment, but a bona fide. No, this is straight up fulfillment. You see? Very difficult prophecies. Very difficult prophecies. Old Testament prophecies about the death of the lamb without blemish, the male lamb without blemish. Very difficult prophecies, but also very beautiful. Why? 
It's because by his blood, you and me are healed. By his blood comes healing. Life is in the blood. Life for life. You see, yes, our Lord is good. But to say our Lord is good doesn't even come close to the beauty and splendor and goodness of our Lord. So look what happens here in verse 19. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Remember, we were just see like the zigzag, you know, in and out, in Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem. So in verse 19, when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. From the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. These are things Jesus, our Lord, he's already taught on faith and he continues to teach even more. And when Jesus further teaching on faith, which we know, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And also brother James teaches us about this too. Remember our study in the book of James? There are promises, promises that we have, promises from the Lord, but there's a very specific formula for effectuation of promise. I meant today. You straight up hear the mockers today. And the mockers today who say, prayers don't work, prayers don't work. I'm sick and tired of prayers. I'm sick and tired of your prayers because prayers don't work. Now, let me tell you something. In the camp of Christ, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelers. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelers, but they have a point. They have a point. They cite what they see. And they see the obvious. Christians pray and nothing happens. The mockers have a point because the Christians pray and nothing happens. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? Well, let's first remove the mocker from the equation. Okay, let's take the mocker and let's remove the mocker from the equation because that's the mocker. So is the problem with God? Nope, not at all. Is the problem with prayer? Nope, not at all. Because we see prayer in scripture, in all the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. We see prayer in scripture. So is the problem God? Nope. Is the problem prayer? Nope. So what's left? It's the Christian. It's you and me. That's what's left. And this is what Brother James teaches us about. When Brother James says, you ask and don't receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. He says, you ask amiss. Adulterers and adulteresses. Whoa. Remember studying the book of James? Hardcore. I like James. Brother James says that to Christians. Believers. And you see the mockers today, they exploit what they see and what they don't see. And so, you know, when the mockers say, hey, you know what? Prayers don't work. Prayers don't work. Yes, they have a point. Because the mockers, they're exploiting what they see and what they don't see. But remember, they do not have understanding. 
You see, they do not have understanding. Because they can see, they say, oh, prayers don't work. They can see that prayers don't work. But that doesn't make them entirely accurate. Yes, they have a point, but it doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them accurate because they don't understand why prayers don't work. You see, look what Jesus says here. In verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You see? It's very true. Very, very true that forgive and forget is a good thing. Forgive and forget is a good thing. But it is also true. Forgive and remember is also a good thing. So what's the determining factor? I'll give you the answer. It's simple, but I'll give you the answer. Remnant or leaven. Straight up, remnant or leaven. Let's say, for example, I do you wrong. I do you wrong somehow. And then I come to you and I say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've repented and I'm really sorry. It won't happen again. And you forgive me. I stick to my word. It never happens again. And we're both, both you and me, clean before the Lord. Forgive and forget. You see? You forgive me and you forgot about the trespass. Forgive and forget. Yeah, I forgive you. But then let's say another guy. Let's say another guy, he does the exact same thing to you. And you forgive him. And in both cases, we take this forgive and forget approach. And that is a good thing. Forgive and forget. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is holy. But then let's say, for example, the other guy. He does it again and again. And again, and it's getting worse. Over and over, repetitive works of the flesh. Over and over and over. And we still forgive. That is a good thing. But when a person's fruit exemplifies the flesh over and over and over, understand what's happening is they're entering leaven territory probably indicative that they have a very, very terrible pastor who has no business at the pulpit. You know, if they're non-believers, that's, that's one thing. But if they're believers, it's revealing that they probably have a very terrible pastor who has no business at the pulpit because you see this over and over and over the fruits of the flesh, the rotten fruit of the flesh. With me, you know, with my offense against you, it was one time I repented. I said, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I repented of it. And you say, hey, forgive and forget. It's over. Done. You and me, we're clean before the Lord. But then the other guy, he does the exact same thing. And you forgive and forget. The same application. Forgive and forget. And praise be to the Lord. You are holy before the Lord. But then another guy, he does it over and over and it's getting worse and worse and worse over and over. And they're starting to enter leaven territory 
and we still forgive over and over and over because we're called to be forgiving. That is holiness. But we're never called to be stupid. We're never called to be stupid. And when a person transitions to leaven, so does our approach. It's, it goes from forgive and forget to forgive and remember. You see? And when we know that a person has become leaven, that's when separation is required. That's when separation is required. Because remember, a little leaven leavens the bunch. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The very thing, you know, okay, remember Paul with the defunct pastors, you know, pastors who had no business at the pulpit. And you see the, you know, what happened to the pastors when, when Paul comes into Corinth and puts these things in place, you know, to take these qualified men as pastors. But then you see, okay, if there's qualified pastors, what happened in the span of just three years? What happened? Well, what happened is Acts 20. Remember the Miletus meeting with the elders of Ephesus where the shepherds became wolves or the shepherds became defunct? And that's what happens in Corinth. And so all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, you have these works of the flesh in Corinth. Christians, a body of believers. And all of a sudden you see the sex, the alcohol, the extortion, the works of the flesh for three years, uncorrected. Uncorrected sin. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? And that's when Paul says, hey, okay, remnant, separate. Separate. You see? Forgive and forget is beautiful. And just like the first example where I do you wrong and, you know, I say, hey, I repented, you know, and it's not going to happen again. And it never happens again. The forgive and forget, praise be to the Lord. But then the other guy, he does the exact same thing. Forgive and forget, hey, praise be to the Lord. But then he does it over and over and over and it's getting worse and worse. The offense is getting worse and worse. Then you see, wait a second, you know, this guy isn't just wrestling with sin. No, this guy has become leaven. You see? And now it's, you know, you still forgive, you see, and you remain holy unto the Lord. You remain a sweet aroma unto the Lord. But then it's like straight up, hey, you know what? I love you. You're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. But hey, we're cutting it off. I can't hang out with you. We're not going to hang out anymore. You see? And then the person, hey, you're so mean. How dare you do that? What are you? You're innocent. It's a result of their own choices. You see? They're the ones that are forcing your response. And your response is holiness. You see? A little leaven leavens the bunch. Very important to understand when we account for the it is also written. You see? And Jesus, when he's speaking here in Mark 11, he's saying, you know, about the prayer, you know, any, in verse 24, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. You see? We see in verse 23, we see in verse 22, you know, have faith in God for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast it into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. You see? Whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you'll have them. Then we look at what Brother James says. When Brother James says, you ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. Something happened with the formula. 
the formula in use. Is the problem with prayer? No, we see prayer in the Bible all the time. Old Testament, New Testament. And here, you know, Genesis, Revelation, everything in between. We see prayer. Is the problem with God? No way. So what's left? The person. The person. See, the mockers, they have a point. Oh, your prayers don't work. Prayers don't work. Prayers don't work. They have a point. They're not right because they do not have the understanding, but they have a point. And when you understand the formula, this holy recipe found in the word of God, you know that prayers don't work for a reason. The problem isn't prayer. The problem isn't the Lord. The problem is the individual Christian. Just like Brother James says, adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. He says it to Christians. The problem is you, he says to the church. The problem is you. Because you ask amiss. Wrong formula. And when you have the wrong formula, hey, you're not getting anything. And then we understand effectuation of promises. Oh, but Brother James, we want to come to church and feel good. We want to come to church and have the joy. We want to come to church and feel... And Brother James, he says, no, now's not the time for that. Now's not the time for that. Now is the time for lamenting. Now is the time for sorrow. Why? Because you're dirty before the Lord. You are unclean before the Lord. You have you are mangy before the Lord. And this isn't like, you know, you're you're unclean and mangy before the Lord. Now get out of here. No, you're unclean, you're you're mangy before the Lord, and let's get you cleaned up. So simple. Let's get you cleaned up. And then the byproduct of this very obedience to these very holy blueprints, the byproduct of that is what? Cleanliness unto the Lord. Purity unto the Lord. And when there's effectuation of that, what comes next? The joy of the Lord. You see? The joy of the Lord. And you have pastors who have no business at the pulpit. They do not have the Spirit or they've quenched the Spirit or they're actively quenching the Spirit, actively extinguishing the Spirit. And they stand up at the pulpit and they tell jokes. They tell jokes and they say, oh, it's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. Look, the people are laughing. They have the joy of the Lord. Listen, if you have a pastor like that, flee from him. Why? Because that's not the joy of the Lord. He's a comedian at the pulpit. Yeah, people laugh, but they're laughing for 10 seconds. And after 10 seconds, the joy is over. That's a carnal joy. But the joy of the Lord, that's completely different. Completely different. You have the pastor that tells the jokes at the pulpit? No. Understand what you're looking at. If you have a pastor that, that is telling jokes at the pulpit and, you know, a little 30-minute uh, sermon, 40-minute sermon, and it's all a, a comedic act, you're looking at the hypocrite. The actor. Upocrites. The actor. Very important to understand. When you have somebody like Brother James, Brother James, what he says, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But understand, whenever the flesh is confronted with truth, it always hurts. It always hurts. Whenever the flesh is confronted with truth, it's always going to hurt. Why? Because the Lord confronts our carnal ways. The Lord confronts the carnal flesh. The Lord confronts carnality. 
Remember when Paul says, you know, I said these things, I wrote these things, and I didn't want to hurt you, and I didn't, I didn't like it, but I'm glad it happened. I'm glad, I'm glad that you were made sad. I'm glad that you were made sorrowful. Why? Because you were made sorrowful in a godly manner. It bring it brought you to repentance. You see? It brought you to repentance. Very important to understand. It's just like, remember, it just so happens on Wednesday we mentioned this with Saul and David. You see Saul making excuses. Not taking ownership of his own behaviors. But then you see in David, yes, you know, he in sin. But then at the same time, you look at his heart, his humility. It's like, wow, Nathan, you're right. Yes, this hurts. Nathan, you're right. It hurts and it hurts bad. But Nathan, you're right. I have sinned before the Lord. You see? And what is the aftermath of that? That's godly sorrow. See, there's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is like, man, you know what? You know, you know, I'm sad. I'm sorrowful. And, you know, how do I end this sorrow? You know, I'm going to go jump off a bridge. That's worldly sorrow. I'm going to put an end to this misery. I'm going to go jump off a bridge. And that's a seduction of Satan. Why don't you go jump off this bridge, whispering in your ear. Just jump off this bridge and that'll take you. That, that, that'll that, that'll uh, uh, take the pain away. That'll take your sadness away. That'll take your depression away. Why don't you just jump off this bridge? And you know what's happening now is Satan is seducing believers, Christians, and saying, just jump off this bridge. It's a fast track to heaven. And you see, godly sorrow, where you can feel like dirt. You can feel like, oh my goodness, I'm so sad. I'm so full of sorrow and guilt and shame and all these things. And man, you know, I went to church and this pastor told, called me, you know, this pastor, his name is James, you know, brother James. He says, you know, I told him, hey, my prayers aren't working. And he told me, your prayers aren't working because you ask amiss. And then he called me an adulterer. But Brother James got a point. And when you understand formula, it's like, wow, you know what, Brother James? He's right. I do my sex. I do my alcohol. I do my Ouija boards. I do the occult. I do all these things. And Brother James, wow, that hurt. It hurt bad. But Brother James, he got a point. Brother James got a point. And the sorrow is there, but godly sorrow brings us to our knees. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I repent before you. Lord, forgive me of my ways and my trespasses and my sin. You see? Yes, what Brother James says was right. Yes, what Brother James did hurt, and it hurt bad. But at the same time, what Brother James says, it's holy. And let's not also forget, in Brother James, the formula is right. Brother James is not a hypocrite. Brother James is not a hypocrite saying, hey, you know, you do your sex and your Ouija boards, and Brother James is doing his sex and Ouija boards and the occult and his yoga and all kinds of different things. No. Brother James, in him, the formula is right. And so you and me, we go to church, and Brother James is the pastor. 
And you and me were in sin, Brother James speaks. He says, wow, he called me, he called me adulterer. He called you the adulterer. If you're female, he called you the adulteress. Wow, Brother James, that's hardcore. And wow, we hurt because we're in sin. We want to come to church and feel good about ourselves. I thought, I thought Christians were supposed to be happy. I thought Christians were supposed to be full of joy. And it's like, wow, I feel like dirt. And then Brother James says, listen, I know this is a hardcore truth, but Brother James says, hey, it's, I know you want to have the joy of the Lord, but no, not, now's not a time for the joy of the Lord. Now is a time for lamenting lamenting so that you can repent before the Lord. And then, you know, the, the, the church service is over. You and me, we go home and we, we, we're like, wait a second, you know, Brother James and wow, that was hardcore. And wow, I feel like dirt. And wow, I feel so full of shame and sorrow and all kinds of different things. And it's like, wait a second, Brother James, Brother James is right. You see, Brother James is right. And yeah, what he said hurt. Then I look at you, you look at me. And it's like, wow, you know what? We have to be clean before the Lord. We have to repent before the Lord. And Brother James says, you know, he did the altar call at church, but, you know, we were too ashamed to, to stand up and go to the altar. But here we are. Now, Brother James was right. And so we go to the church the next week. Hey, Brother James. Man, that was hardcore what you said last week. But you know what? We, we repented and, you know, we're clean before the Lord. And Brother James is like looking at us crying with tears in his eyes. Wow, praise be the Lord. I thought I'd never see you again, but here you are. Praise be the Lord, and he's rejoicing. Unbeknownst to us, he's been praying all week. For us, for you, for me. That's the church. That's the remnant church. Not just the body caring for the body, the remnant caring for the remnant. You see? And when Brother James teaches about effectuation for prayer to receive, to pray and to receive. And Jesus is saying here in Mark 11, listen, whatever you ask, hey, you're going to have it. Don't doubt. Whatever you ask, you're going to have it. You see, very important to understand. And you know, sometimes you, you know, I've been praying for 20 years and nothing's happened. I've been praying for 30 years and nothing's happening. Listen, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying, you know, until until we die. That's a beautiful thing. But when you pray and you're waiting 30 years, something's probably off. We know the problem's not prayer. We know the problem's not the Lord. So what's left? I know people who pray and in 30 seconds they have an answer. I know people who pray and they go to sleep and the Lord wakes them up. With, their, with the answer. You see? The formula. Holy formula. People who pray and they receive before even praying. The Lord knew what they needed. Holy formula. And when the formula is right, you see like effectuation. You know, you read like, you, you, you read uh, 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 verse... Uh, 23, verse 23 here in Mark 11. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but, but, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Now, if the formula is wrong in you, verse 23 is almost laughable. It's almost laughable. And it pains me to say that because it's, it's a biblical truth. And I don't, I don't want to say that the truth is laughable, but the very thing that our Lord says, it's almost laughable. What, whatever he says he's going to have, 
How can this be? Because I pray and nothing happens. How can this be? What's the disconnect? Is the problem prayer? No, let's eliminate that. Is the problem the Lord? No, not at all. So what's left? You see? It's the Christian. It's the believer. But when the formula is right, when the formula is right in you and in me, we know that when we pray, we're not waiting 30 years. We're not waiting 20 years, 10 years. No, when we pray, boom, it happens. You see? Very important to understand. Just like the Bible, you know, you know, is anyone sick? Go to your elders. Your elders will pray. People, oh, you know, baby girl is sick. Baby girl is sick. I'm going to go to my elder. You go to the elder. Nothing happens. Why? Wrong formula. You see? Wrong formula in the elder. And if you submit, you know, I, I go to my pastor. If you submit to that pastor, wrong formula in you. Take heed to what you hear. Take heed to what you hear. It is written, take heed to what you hear. Oh, but the Bible says I got to submit to the pastor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, the Bible does say that. But the Bible explains which one. You see? The Bible explains which one. So, you know, you have Christians today. Christians today. And it pains me. It hurts to even utter these things. Christians today, oh, baby girl's sick. The Bible says I got to go to my elder so the elder can pray. Okay, here, elder, baby girl, you know, baby, uh, elder, my baby girl is sick. You go to the elder that, you know, says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved, you know. It teaches replacement theology, all kinds of different things. Hey, doctrinally, wrong formula in that guy? No, nothing's happening. He can pray all he wants. Nothing's happening. You see? The Bible says I go to the elder. Yeah. The Bible also explains which elder. You see? Very important to understand. And when we see effectuation of God's promises, no, you can pray, boom, you got it. Baby girl is sick, baby girl, elder, you know, elder, the, the Bible says, I take, you know, sick baby girl to you, you're going to pray, and here, boom, baby girl's healed. Is it the elder? No, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. But in the elder, the formula was right. You see? These are things that the last days Christian, the last days saint must understand. Because perilous times, they're not coming. They are not coming. Perilous times, they're already here. They're already here and they're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And all these things are going to be exposed. You see? I meant to look at when Jesus says, when, when Jesus says, you know, uh, 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 in, 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 uh, in verse 24, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's hardcore. It's not like a, it's not a carnal belief either. It's not like, you know, oh, I, I, you know, name it and claim it. I believe I'm going to have a Lamborghini. I believe I'm going to have a Ferrari. And, you know, I'm going to have a Ferrari. Then you see people, I've been praying 10 years for a Ferrari. I've been praying 20 years for a Ferrari. And now I don't have a Ferrari. Therefore, God is fake. 
And then they walk away. So wait a second. No, you add, you're asking amiss. You think the Lord's going to give you a Ferrari? You see? And when you have intimacy with the Lord, these are things that the Lord teaches. He shows us. And your desires and his desires, it's just like with Samuel. Remember when, when Samuel, he's so hurt by the very request of the elders. Because Samuel knows no, our, our, our king, it's the Lord. Our king is the Lord. And then the elders come, hey, we want, we want a king. What? And Samuel's so brokenhearted, so brokenhearted and so intimate with the Lord. Such beautiful, beautiful intimacy with the Lord. That our Lord is the one who tells them, no, Samuel, yeah, you hurt. But Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Can you picture that intimacy for Samuel to be so hurt that his pain is reflective of that of our Lord? And the Lord says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You see? And when Samuel prays, boom, things happen. You see? But when Korah prays, pfft, nothing happens. You see? Or, you know, we could say when Korah prays, he dies. I mean, you know, remember our study in the Old Testament? And the Lord, the Word of God gives us very specific blueprints of, you know, when our Lord says this, hey, whatever you ask, hey, it's yours. You're going to have it. And it's almost laughable. It's almost laughable with a large majority of Christians. It's almost laughable. Because like, wait a second, you know, the word of God says that I'm going to ask and I get, I'm going to ask and I receive. But when I pray, nothing happens. And it's almost laughable. That's when you see Brother James, hey, you ask and you do not receive. The problem's not the Lord. The problem's not prayer. The problem is you. Wrong formula. You want to pray for a Ferrari? Hey, you're not getting a Ferrari. You see? Wrong formula. Oh, the Bible says I submit to the pastor. I'm submitting to the pastor. Okay, who's your pastor? Study Bible guy. Reform, uh, re, uh, 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 replacement theology. You see? Wrong formula. Name it and claim it. You see? The money preachers. Wrong formula. It's a very, very holy recipe. Very, very beautiful blueprints that our Lord has given us. And when there's obedience to his word, boom, effectuation. You're not waiting 30 years. You can pray in 30 seconds. Answer. You see? Baby girl's sick. Hey, you know, elder, you know, baby girl's sick. Can you pray for her? Elder prays. Boom. Baby girl's healed. What's impossible for the Lord? I'll give you the answer. Nothing. Well, it is written. It's impossible for him to lie. Outside of that, nothing. You see? And so we continue our study here in verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem. Remember the zigzag, you know? Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. 
And they said to him, here in verse 28, and they said to him, remember, this is the, the, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This is just, you know, run-of-the-mill priests. These are the chief priests. These are the, the heavies. Remember, not just the heavies. These are like the heavies of the heavies because we're straight up in Jerusalem. We're not in Nazareth. You see? We're not in Capernaum. No. We're in the hotbed. We're in Jerusalem. And they said to him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Remember what happened in the temple? You and me with our turtle doves? And what happened when Jesus was mad and he, you know, he flipped the tables over? No, he was mad. And then, you know, the, the religious establishment. By what authority? This is the, the heavies, the, the heavies of the heavies. We're in Jerusalem, the chief priests, not run-of-the-mill priests, the chief priests, scribes, and the elders. By what authority? They ask him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Remember, Jesus, he's, he's not just gaining attention. You know, the, the people are like, they marvel at the things he's saying. He's not just gaining their attention. What's happening is he's interfering with the status quo of temple business. Remember, the money changers, you know, they, they were pulling profit. Remember our study in Torah, how we would often say and still say how easy it is for certain statutes, if not all statutes, how easy it is to be corrupted. You see, taking bribes. It happens with it happened with the, the sons of Samuel. It happened with Eli and his sons. It happened with the sons of Samuel even. Not under his roof. Remember our study for Samuel, not under his roof. And you look at the religious establishment in Mark 11. And, you know, previously too, in the previous chapters. There was a status quo of operations where... The layman, the laywoman could look at it and be like, wow, you know, surely these are holy people. Surely, look, he's got the, got the robe and got the garb and he wears it and he, he, he's got these uh, degrees and did this and got his training and all these things. He works in the temple. Surely they're holy. Surely they're holy. And these are the guys who are coming to Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus, he's a disruptor to their status quo, to their status quo. Remember, their business should have been Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. But they were far from it, the so-called shepherds of Israel. In the establishment, when, when Jesus is disrupt, disrupting their business, their operations... You look at the priest under Eli, in the era of Eli. Look at the priest. It's like, wait, where, where's, where are the sons? Where are the priests? They're, they were doing the sex. They were doing the sex. Where's the priest? Israel is supposed to be clean. Where are the priests? They're doing the sex. You look in the era of Ezekiel. Where are the priests? Where are the elders? They're worshiping the sun. They're doing their sex orgies. Remember Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Lord, Lord, you, Lord, you know, why me? Look, you have these priests. Why me, Ezekiel? Why me, Lord? You have the priests, you have the elders. Why me? And then the Lord says, "Okay, you think I have priests? Okay, let me show you what these priests are up to. Come here, Ezekiel. Come here, Ezekiel. A little bit heavier than that." And then the Lord shows him, you know, put your finger in here. And Ezekiel, in obedience, I love that so much because the Lord says, "Put your finger." Here. You see, Ezekiel, put your finger. He puts his finger there. 
pokes a little hole in the wall. And the Lord says, okay, now look in the hole. Ezekiel looks in the in the hole. And the very priest, the very so-called religious establishment, the very holy people, so-called, in my air quotes, the very holy people that he thought were holy, he looks at them and he says, wow, look at all the sex. Oh, look at all the, they're worshiping the sun. Oh, this is an abomination. And the Lord said, you think I can use these people? You think they're holy? You think they're my vessels? You see? And I love Amos so much. Remember Amos? I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, hey, surprise, Amos. You're my guy. Surprise, you're a prophet. I love it so much because Amos didn't walk around like, you know, you know, uh, popping his collar. Oh, look at me. I'm a prophet. Do I get my, par- my prophet parking spot? That wasn't Amos. You see humility in God's vessels. Humility and a boldness. Look at Jeremiah. Look at his boldness. When he was the only one standing, look at Jeremiah. Look at Samuel. How beautiful it is. Jephthah, Jephthah's beautiful daughter. Jephthah's beautiful friends. Jephthah's daughter's beautiful friends. Because, you know, Jephthah's daughter, Jephthah's daughter, she didn't go to her friends and her friends were like, oh, you know what? Run away. You know, your dad's dumb. Oh, no, Jephthah's daughter's friends. So beautiful. I can't wait, make, I can't wait to meet them. So beautiful. I can't wait to meet our family of faith. I can't wait to meet and embrace Jephthah and his daughter and his daughter's friends and Moses and 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 Luke and Dr. Luke and you know little Timmy I can't wait to not just meet but you know to, to embrace them of course our Lord you know ultimately our Lord I can't wait but what a family of faith we have and Jesus he is the formula and then you have these priests when, when, when Jesus in fulfillment of the law, in fulfillment of the in fulfillment of the prophet. There's more, but what we touched on earlier in their earlier verses, when Jesus riding on the colt, presenting the Lord presenting Himself as the Lamb on Passover week, fulfilling the prophets, fulfilling Moses. And the religious establishment have the audacity to ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Remember, Jesus was disrupting their status quo. Disrupting their operations because they turned our father's house into a den of thieves. The whole purpose was so that Israel can be clean before the Lord. Remember our study in Torah? The whole purpose. That holy mountain Moses in the cloud with Joshua on the outside. Beautiful, beautiful assistant of Moses. And it's so beautiful, the blueprints. And you get down the mountain, what happened? When you see Israel defiled, but then you see in the very blueprints that was given to Moses, you see the means by which Israel can be clean. And the whole purpose is so that Israel can be clean before the Lord. 
and these so-called shepherds of Israel in Mark 11. The heavies, the so-called heavies. They are majorly in the wrong. And they are majorly facing God's judgment. Look at verse 29. So they ask this question, you know, but what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Verse 29, but Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question, then answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus affirms to them, yeah, I'm going to answer you. I'll answer your question. But first, you answer me. One simple question, and here it is in verse 30. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. Whoa. <laughs> was it from heaven or from men, the baptism of John? Answer me. Heavy, heavy, heavy question. And for my attorney friends, my legal friends, my friends who are the legal eagles, he's called a wonderful counselor for a reason. A mighty, beautiful defense attorney, a mighty, beautiful prosecutor, a beautiful advocate, as 1 John chapter 2 tells us. So Jesus, our Lord, he asked these so-called learned men, the heavies of Jerusalem, the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? In verse 31, And they reasoned among themselves, these so-called learned men. They don't even answer. They don't even answer. Verse 27, you know, these are the chief priests. The scribes, these are you know, the run-of-the-mill priests. No, these are the chief priests. Remember, we're not in Nazareth. We're not in, 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 in uh, Capernaum. We're not in the region of Galilee. This is the priesthood, not run-of-the-mill priests. These are the heavies, the chief priests. And not just the heavies, the heavies of the heavy, because we are in Jerusalem. And they don't even answer? The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the so-called learned ones? They don't even answer Jesus in verse 31. They reason among themselves. Instead of answering Jesus, they huddle. They huddle. And they reason among themselves. Saying this in verse 31, saying... If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? In verse 32, but if we say from men, now notice the end quote here. But if we say from men, end quote, you know what that means? They're speechless. They're speechless. If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, Boom. Speechless. You know what that means? They have no case. They have no case. They have no argument. They have no case. Verse 32, they're speechless. But the word of God exposes them in verse 32. But if we say from men, end quote, they fear the people. The word of God exposes that they feared the people for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. You see, stopped dead in their tracks. The religious establishment. And not just the heavies. No, this is the straight up heavies of the heavies. We're not in Nazareth. We're not in Galilee. We're not in, 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 uh, uh, in any of those regions up north. No, we are in the hotbed. 
We are in the epicenter. We are in Jerusalem. These are the heavies of the heavies and they're stopped dead in their tracks because the right answer exposes them. You see? Wonderful, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor, our Lord. They have no case. They have no case. And the so-called learned ones, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, not run-of-the-mill priests. No, these are the chiefs. The heavies of the heavies in Jerusalem, in the epicenter. All their education and training and experience and lineage. Look what they say in verse 33. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. Remember, Jesus told them, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll answer your question. But first answer me one simple question. And they respond in verse 33, we don't know. And since they say we don't know, remember, our Lord is reactionary. Okay, it's so simple. Look at verse 33, we don't know. And Jesus answered them and said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, truth becomes withheld. Revelation becomes withheld. Answers become withheld for a reason. For a reason. The priests, the scribes, the elders, they also have their own marathon. You see? Choices to make along the way and in the book of Mark. We've already seen in the earlier chapters, and it's just getting worse. We've already seen their hearts getting harder and harder and harder and harder. Remember, you have balsa, nice and soft. It's not jello, but, you know, balsa we can work with. It's not jello. Balsa. And we want it to go the direction of the jello. But when a heart isn't softer than the softest jello, what happens? It goes from balsa to maple, to oak, to pine, and then that final step, that devastating step, is when pine becomes stone. You see? And in our study in the book of Mark, so far, we're in chapter 11, we've seen their hearts get harder and harder and harder. They're going the wrong direction. They're not going in the direction of the jello. They're going in the direction of the stone, you see? And it's going to be devastating for them. And not only that, it's going to be devastating for Israel. Very important to understand. The law and the prophets, which point to Jesus, but then at the same time, when that is rejected, then we see something else. Gentiles. The introduction of the Gentiles. God's promises going to the Gentiles. And this is what we see in um, Peter. We see it in, uh, remember, uh, with Cornelius and Peter. And, and then we see it in Paul, when Paul was called to, to preach to the Gentiles, you see. And this is also a dangerous area, not dangerous, but it's, it's very twisted by the false teachers because this is why they teach replacement theology. That God is all done with Israel, but no, 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 no. They misinterpret the scriptures. God's promises for Israel are certainly true, certainly applicable, and certainly applicable to this day. But formula, formula, 
It's all about these very holy blueprints so that Israel can be clean before the Lord. Okay, so do we use the blood of animals? The blood of uh, 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 turtle doves? The blood of ox? No, not at all. Remember, until the seed. The very thing that the law and prophets speak of. Until the seed. And now that we have the seed, what happens? The blood of the lamb on the colt. Here is your lamb, O Israel. You see? Very important to understand what the word of God teaches us. We see these scribes, the religious establishment, the so-called shepherds of Israel. Yeah, we got the we got the priests, all right. We got the Levites, we got Kohanim, and yeah, we got the scribes, we got the elders. But look at them. Just like judges. Just like judges. Yeah, we have the priesthood, we got the Levites, we have Kohanim, we got it. We got the elders, we got it. But look at the idolatry. Look at the sex. Look at the rape. Look at the gang rape. You see? Look at the mutilation. You remember our study in the book of Judges? That's hardcore. That was very, very difficult study. Look at the priesthood. They've corrupted themselves. They've defiled themselves. And as a result, remember, only the clean can clean. What does that say for Israel? You say, well, okay, that's Israel. I'm a new covenant believer. Look at pastors today. Look at pastors today. Look at the mutilation. Only the clean can clean. It's very true. The Bible does say submit to your pastor. But the Bible also, it is also written. Which one? You see? And we see with these so-called shepherds of Israel. Where Jesus says to them, okay, since you answer thus, here's my answer. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The priesthood, their hearts became harder and harder and harder. You see? On their way to stone. They corrupt themselves. And as a result, withheld truth for them. You see? And Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll tell you by what authority, but you answer me first this question. And they say, we don't know. Okay. Closed book. I'm not going to tell you. You see? But then we look at the disciples. We look at the disciples. We got the fisherman, tax collector, run of the mill. But then when you understand formula, not so run of the mill. Very beautiful, very beautiful hearts. And with the disciples, Jesus, he's an open book to them. You see? To the religious establishment. Okay, close book. It's over. No, I'm not going to tell you. But then Jesus goes to the disciples. Open book. You see? Revealing things to the disciples. Things that they don't even understand yet. These are things that they're later going to put together. When, you know, Acts chapter 2, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are things that they're going to reflect on. Oh, that. They reflect, they reflect back. Oh, that's what our Lord meant. That's what our Lord, man, our, when our Lord walked over here to here to here and, oh, that's what he meant. And when these healings happened, oh, that's what he meant. And they piece it together. And our Lord reveals to them in the era of Mark 11 and, and even in the prior chapters, things that they don't yet understand fully. 
but later down the road, they're going to piece it together. You see? And it's the, same, it's the exact same for us. When we have intimacy with the Lord, intimacy with God, His Spirit teaches us. That's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit teaches. These are things that seminary, Bible college, divinity school, universities, complete with their professors, they can't touch this. There's no greater teacher than the Lord. And when we have intimacy with Him, He teaches us. As it is, is written, as it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look what Brother Paul tells us. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the carnal man, the carnal man, the carnal man, the carnal man, but the carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see? The exact same things we see with the religious establishment. Truth becomes withheld for a reason. For a reason. And never, 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 never forget that knowledge is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, knowledge is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And those who know, know in part. Knowledge is a gift from the Spirit. But it is not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.